Hey, it is so good to be here. I've loved the warmth today. I love that the aircon is on. I'm wearing a long dress, so I feel none of it, but that's fine. Jack said this morning he saw sweat dripping off my elbow. How gross is that? For the Lord, right? For the Lord. Anything for Jesus. Hey, it is so good to be here tonight. And um, I believe I have a good message. I believe Jesus is good. Um, but recently, Cal and I went on holidays. And uh, it was great, apart from it rained, like the whole time. <laughs> we went camping. So rain and camping, um, unless you're the wards, is not a good combination. We all know their stories, and I wasn't about to fight him for the rain camping stories. Um, but what it meant was is that we had to watch a lot of movies. Didn't have to. Um, we chose to watch a lot of movies. And um, I have a confession to make. We finally got around to watching just before Christmas, Bohemian Rhapsody. Is anyone a fan of Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it just us? Yeah, yeah, just a couple of people. That's cool. You should watch it if you haven't watched it. But if we finally got around to it, um, but and it was great. I loved it. It's one of Cal's new fave movies. We're listening to Queen all the time now, which is lovely. She's great. They're great. Um, but what it meant was is that now Cal in random moments of silence, we'll just break out and be like, under pressure, like in my ear. And um, it's not fun. Just hearing pressure all the time, singing it. But if I had to pick one word that would describe our society at the moment, if it was two, it'd be under pressure, but it's one, so it's pressure. Our world is riddled and marked and defined and influenced by pressure. You know, we experience pressure from the, the moment we enter the world. I'm not going to give an anatomy chat, but you can fill in the gaps of how that works. But all of a sudden, we have to meet these milestones as a kid. There's pressure for parents to make sure that their kid is crawling at the right time, walking at the right time, talking at the right time, eating solids at the right time. And then we turn five and we go into school. And now there's all this pressure that we have to um, compete and actually do well at school. And then we go all the way through to year 12 and there's pressure to get to year 12. And then you've got to get a good ATAR and finish high school. And then when you finish high school, you also got to know what you want to do for the rest of your life so you can apply for uni. And then when you apply for uni, you've got to get into uni and there's pressure to do well at uni not only do well but finish uni that's a big enough pressure in its <laughs> do you say that's true yeah uh we'll chat later um there's pressure to finish uni and then you've got to know what you want to do with your career for the rest of your life and then the pressure keeps coming then you've got to get a good job and then you've got to do well in that job and then you've got to get promoted in that job and then it just keeps going. Then you've got to get a relationship. That's enough pressure in itself. You've got to find the right person the first time. First time. Then you've done well. Then there's the pressure to get engaged. Then the pressure to get married. Then when are you having kids? Then when are you having the next kid? Then when are you getting a dog? Not a cat, a dog. I didn't get a big enough clap for that, but that's okay. Thank you. Sorry, Larry's. But then when are you buying a house? And the pressure just goes on and on and on and on until you die. Yay! Can't wait. Love this life. Our world is reliant on pressure. And you know, in the midst of these pressures, 
there is one thing that will determine the course of your life, your priorities. That's a fun word, priorities. Gets thrown around a little bit, mainly when you first become independent and want to leave home. Then it's like, oh, I need money to pay rent and eat. I've got to get my priorities straight. Everyone has priorities. And if you feel like you don't, you do. They're just defined by someone or something else. If you do not clearly define your priorities, you will find yourself swept downstream in life by the different pressures to the point where you may even see yourself as a victim of your circumstances. But if your priorities are clear and set, then you're able to respond to pressures by making choices that are in line with your priorities and your direction in life. This is why it's important to have the right priorities. They determine who you spend time with, where you spend your money, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you make decisions. Priorities help you to remain strong when the waves of pressure try to batter you around. Having priorities that reflect the character of God, that align with his word, these actually help us to become more like the person that God created us to be. It helps us and is important in a world that's riddled with pressure to conform to this world and to give in. You know, King David was a man who knew what it was like to live under pressure. As the king of Israel, he knew the pressures of leadership and the higher and more responsible he became in his leadership, the more pressure he felt. And David knew the pressure of problems. David had experienced the pressure of problems. He had experienced the pressure of Goliath. He had experienced the pressure of being the youngest of eight sons who was called by God to be the next king of Israel. He had experienced the pressure of playing the heart for Saul. He'd even experienced the pressure of failure and where that led him to. His, his pressures not only included victories but failures, which I think is nice for the rest of us. Because um, sometimes I look at King David and I'm like, okay, I can't do that. You face pressure, but I will never face anything like that. But the reality is, is that we're all human. We're all going to face pressure. Face pressure. We're going to win some and we're going to do not so well at some. But I think the beauty of this story of David is that God can use anyone. Throughout the Bible, you can see how David handled pressure. His priorities were revealed and forced to the surface each and every time that he steps up and he faces more pressure. And one of these moments is Psalm 63. It says in verse 1, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I've seen you, oh, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. 
I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And you know, this psalm was written by David when he was in the wilderness. The wilderness of Judah. The wilderness for the second time. And no, before you asked, there wasn't a great Airbnb or a really good good coffee spot that he was like, got to go back there. Definitely got to go back there. That was really good. No, no, no. He was fleeing for his life. David's son, Absalom, had rebelled against him and had overthrown David as the king of Jerusalem while David wasn't well. And when David found out, he immediately gathered his family, some of his friends and some of his people and fled. He fled into the wilderness, the desert of Judah, because he knew that if he stayed, his son would kill a whole lot of people just to get to him. And so he wanted to spare his town, his city of unnecessary bloodshed. So here we are where David is left. David is in for the second time in the wilderness. And you know, Psalm 63 shows us the priority of a man under pressure. If that was me, um, I'd be a hot mess. I'd be having a firm sit down with God, eye to eye, obviously. And um, I'd do all the talking and I'd say, um, what are you doing? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know how long I've served you? Why am I here? Who am I? What am I doing here? Is this for a purpose? Like, you know I'm not well. It's my own son. Like, come on. Like, I, I do hot, but I don't do like wilderness, desert hot. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Can you let me in on the plan? And obviously I wasn't made for being under pressure. Um, but not David. David doesn't even begin to respond out of a fleshly nature. He begins by penning this song, penning this psalm. But it doesn't start off with a petition for help or to be rescued. David expresses his longing for God's presence. David's priority was to seek God, to seek his face, to seek his presence. When you read this psalm and many of the other psalms that David wrote, you can't help but see get David's trust in God. Regardless of the situation, no matter how disordered or disturbed everything was around him, David had a conviction that God was still on the throne and no matter how David felt, he knew that God would always keep his covenant with him and fulfill his promises. And, you know, I believe there are a couple of key lessons that we can learn from David in this psalm on how to seek God, not for a need, not for an agenda, but to learn how to seek him when there's pressure and when there's not. So the first thing we can learn is that to seek after God means to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. Verse 1 says, you, God, are my God. There's a sense of ownership here. David doesn't say, you are the God, you are a God. He says, no, 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 you are my God. David knew God in an intimate and personal way. And you know, there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing of someone. You can learn a lot about Barack Obama. You can read news articles. You can read books. 
about his life. You can be, read books by him. You can know about his pet peeves, his dislikes, his likes, his family, his friends, what he likes for breakfast, how he likes his coffee. But that's not the same as knowing him personally. To know Barack Obama requires an actual invitation or an occasion to meet. And then when you meet him, you spend hours and hours and lots of periods of time actually getting to know him more and more, not from a political standpoint, but from a personal one. This is how we need to be with God. We need to have personally met him through Jesus. And trust in Jesus and his death on our behalf. And then we don't just stop there. We develop our relationship with God. We get to know him over lots of time, over days, weeks, years, spent in different seasons, different situations, different circumstances. Now let's be clear, God's not lost. It's not a big game of hide and seek. We don't seek him because he's left us, because he's distant, because he's hidden, or because he's lost. The beauty of God is that he created us with a free will and a choice to choose him or to not. That is where the seeking comes into it. John 6.44 tells us that anyone who is seeking God is seeking him because God created us with a desire in our hearts to want to know him. God is not lost, nor is he distant. He's just letting you, me, choose him, seek him. Seeking after God means that we're seeking to develop an intimate relationship with God. And you know, at this time for David, people believed in different gods, heaps of different gods, which is not too different from today, really. There's a stack of different things that we can make God in our lives. Sport, career, marriage, relationships, shopping, money, sexual orientation, our feelings, hello, but David's language is so clear. My God. But when we make God my God, there's a shift in our spirit. When David said, my God, by faith, he transformed his wilderness experience into a worship experience. By faith. Not by works. Not by like reshuffling things around, not by gathering people in. By faith, when he said, my God, he transformed his, his wilderness experience into a worship experience. He was in the wilderness, the desert, like the literal desert. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired. But his only desire was a spiritual one. In an hour where David may have been discouraged, he was excited about God. In a place that seemed abandoned and deserted, David reached out by faith to his God, someone he knew could, he could be trusted, someone he knew well, someone he had a relationship with, someone who had made promises to David that he was adamant he was going to keep. David was able to seek God because he knew him in an intimate and personal way. The second thing we can learn is to seek after God means to always desire more of him. 
You know, David in verse 1 goes on to say, Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know, it's funny because we know from, from the start of the verse that David knows God, he has God. So why does he need to seek God if he has him? David knew that there was more. He wanted more. He was satisfied by God, but he wasn't satisfied of what he knew of God. What he'd experienced of God. He knew there was more. His whole being, body, soul and spirit craved for his presence. You know, seeking God means seeking his presence. And presence is a common translation of the Hebrew word face. So literally we are to seek his face. This is the Hebrew way of having access to God. To be before his face is to be in his presence. And seeking is not a subconscious action. It's not something you can do by accident. You can't stumble across it and be like, oh, here you are. You can't zone out. You can't coast along mentally and set your mind on him at the same time. It's a conscious choice to direct your heart and your mind to him. It's a conscious effort on our behalf. And you know, sometimes we can seek God out of guilt or we feel that we should or someone tells us that we're meant to. But God wants us to seek him out of a desire, not obligation. The Bible says, seek and you will find. Not you might find, not seek and like he could appear, not seek and like, oh, hello, Jesus, there you are. Seek and you will find. So either way, you're going to get God. That is how good he is. He loves us so much and longs for relationship with you so much that he wants us to long for him too. Ever been in a friendship where it's really one-sided? Where you're the only one putting in the effort? When we seek out of obligation... We're only ripping ourselves off to the joy and wonder it is for us to personally seek him. Earnestly I seek you. Now earnestly can actually be translated into early as in morning. Jack loves morning. Early morning. But scholars actually agree that the word earnestly means diligently. To seek God means to go after God diligently with an intense desire. A.W. Tozer says this, Come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. This is the best part. And when they found him, when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. You know, it's really easy to seek God when we have a need, when things aren't going to plan, when we need an answer, when we need breakthrough, when we need direction for our life, when when we experience hardship, when we need healing, when we need fill in the gap. And seeking God is even harder when we don't feel like we have a need when there's nothing in front of us screaming, you should turn to God. We get complacent and we get satisfied with how much we know of God. 
How often have we sought God in the middle of our celebration? In the middle of life doing well? Too often we treat God as one of those boxes that says, break in case of emergency. We wait till it's too late. We wait till things have gone completely wrong. We wait till there's nowhere else to turn but to turn to God. And we break the glass. To seek after God means that there is always more. Because God is an infinite person. If you feel that you've reached a level of maturity in your Christian life where you can put it in neutral and coast, you are in trouble. I never want to be satisfied with how much I know of God. There will always be more. More grace, more peace, more mercy, more personality of God, more characteristics of who he is. There is more depth, more width, more height to who he is. And no matter how long you've known him, no matter how long you've walked with him, no matter what he's walked you through or what he's been there for, there is always more. That's why he's God. David had walked with God for years and he had an intimate relationship with him, yet he knew that there was more. He thirsted for more. David was in a relationship with God before things got hard, before the wilderness turned up. David learned how to seek God in the quiet, in the favour, in the celebration. He had made a decision in advance. He had resolved in himself that when things were good, he was going to seek God. And when things got hard, when the trials came, he was going to seek God through that as well. There is always something through or around which we have to go to seek God consciously. The going through and around is what seeking is. He can often be hidden behind things that we put in front of him. He can be veiled behind the things that we have pushed up to be God. But we must go through these and around these to meet with him. And there's so many ways that we can do that. The heavens tell of his glory so we can seek him through that. He reveals himself in his word so we can seek him through that. He shows himself through creation so we can seek him through that. He shows himself in the evidence of grace in other people so we can seek him through that. The seeking is the conscious effort to go through natural means, the flesh, the humanness, to get to God himself, to constantly set our minds towards God in all of our experiences, to direct our minds and hearts towards him through the means of revelation. This is what seeking means. The point is, the person who seeks after God will be a person of strength and stability, a person with inner resources to meet every crisis, every situation and every circumstance in life. When David fled to the wilderness, he didn't look back and regret at the mistakes he had possibly made as a parent. He didn't look forward at the fear and danger around him in the wilderness. 
he instantly looked up to God. He came back to his resolve that he had made before the wilderness came. And David didn't seek God for what he could do for him. David didn't seek God to rescue him or to help him. David sought God for his presence, purely just to be with God. Nothing else, no agenda, no you're awesome but, no you've been great but, just to be in his presence. David reminded himself of what he knew of God and was adamant there was more to know. To seek after God means to always desire more of him. The third thing that we can learn on how to seek after God from David is we need to learn how to seek God outside of the sanctuary. Verse 2 says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. When David speaks of the sanctuary, he's referring to the Ark of the Lord, the Holy of Holies, the place where people went to meet with God in the Old Testament. And just before this, David with some Levites had brought the Ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem, where it belonged. And David had been a part of setting up the, the tent on Mount Zion. He had returned the Ark to its place. But because David wasn't actually a Levite, he wasn't able to enter into the sanctuary. But he had studied it. He had learnt the design. He had watched the rituals and he had encountered God through that. David fled to the wilderness. And I love this. The men brought the ark with them. Like it's not, it's not like a key that you forget, that you put in your pocket and then you get to work and you're like, how did this get here? It's like an ark. Like... <laughs> Not quite. Uh, it's, it's big. Like it's not something that you just like chuck on your back and no one notices until you get to the wilderness. And they're like, hey, what's that like large thing on your back? But these men thought that David needed so much protection that they were going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the wilderness with King David. But I love this. They stop overnight. And instantly David turns to them and says, return that to Jerusalem. That doesn't belong here. That belongs in Jerusalem like God called us to put it there. His son Absalom was trying to turn David's glory into shame. But David knew that he had God's favour. He knew he didn't need the ark. He didn't need the sanctuary of God to seek God and to meet with him. David had seen God's glory and power in the sanctuary and he believed that by faith he would see it in the wilderness too you know it's our regular worship that prepares us for the crisis experiences of life it's when we worship in our bedroom when we get down on our knees when no one's watching it's when we worship in our car on the way to work eyes open Thank you. We do do like road safety seminars here, so I feel like I need to say that. It's when you worship God through your work, how you speak to that checkout chick, how you honour your parents, how you treat your body is worship.
David didn't need the worship band to play. He didn't need the host to get up and encourage him and inspire him to lift his hands. He didn't need the host to say, lean into God, lay it at his feet. He didn't need the host to get up and say, come on, give praise to God. David didn't need the atmosphere of being in church. He didn't even need the preacher to remind him to seek God. David didn't depend on the church or even being at a service in person or even getting a seat closest to the front. He even sent the place where they met God back away from him to Jerusalem. But he depended, he depended on the God who was glorified and worshipped through those things. The God that he knew. The God that he had been seeking and worshipping in the paddock. In his bedroom. In every moment. And he went back to his God. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. And David had a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. And because David had seen God's power and glory in his house, he was able to see it in the wilderness too. David's desire wasn't to see his friends again. It wasn't even to be restored back to Jerusalem as king. It wasn't even just to survive the wilderness. His one desire was to see God's glory and power in the wilderness as he'd seen in the sanctuary. We need to learn how to seek God outside of the sanctuary. You know, we live in a microwave society where everything is instant and we want everything practically done for us so that all we have to do is press a button and ta-da! Want it? You can have it. Can't afford it? Don't worry, use Afterpay, we'll lend you the money. Sick of ads? Watch Netflix, it's fine. Can't be bothered to spend time with God? No worries, feed off someone else's revelation. We've become Christians who want podcasts and preachers online and Bible plans where everything is spelt out for us. Now don't get me wrong, these things aren't bad. But if we lose the joy of seeking for God ourselves, we've missed the whole point. Too often, we rely on the church to create an environment just right for us. We act like Goldilocks. We want the song to be just right and to hit home right where our situation is, right with what we're going through. We want the lighting to be low and the smoke machine to be on and the aircon to be at the right temperature so that we can meet with God. But we aren't willing to give God more than two hours on a Sunday or sit in his presence for more than five minutes without getting distracted or bored. We don't want to sit and read his word and actually be silent and wait for him to speak, to not rush and just be with him. We've forgotten how to seek God outside of the sanctuary. The message paraphrase of this verse says, So here I am in the place of worship. In a place where David had no sanctuary, no service, no worship team set in the atmosphere, he chose to reach out in faith and began to worship God.
David sought after God in the sanctuary and in the wilderness. And he even sought after God when he'd messed up and committed adultery and murdered someone to cover it up. He still sought God. Instead of complaining and throwing a pity party, David sang praises to God. And through seeking God, David turned his wilderness experience into a worship experience. From verses 3 to 8, David worships and he finds God. And after two verses that expresses his deep desire and seeking for God, he quickly turns to joyful praises in finding him. It says from verse 3, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David rose up and worshipped God in the midst of a situation he was going through. His condition was difficult to control. It was hard to bear. But he acknowledged God as the Lord over the situation. He didn't throw a pity party. He didn't complain against God. He could have asked so many questions. But instead, he didn't. He wasn't even mad at God. Even though it was painful to live in that kind of situation, to have his own son turn on him. Instead, he praised God. Worship leads us to our breakthroughs. When we worship God intervenes in our situations. He restores what was lost. He fights for us. And you know, these trials are not to destroy us, but to develop us, to build us, to remind us who God is in our life. Because without them, we don't have testimonies. We don't understand how good God is or what God could do. Instead of thinking how God has rejected us, we can see him as a father who cannot forsake his children. We can look beyond our circumstances and see the greatness of God. When we seek God, we find God. Where he is found, there is a great reward. Hebrews 11:16 says whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God himself is our greatest reward. God promises that he will reward the person who seeks him. What is the reward? It's just God that we find God, that we have him, we have everything. He is the greatest reward. All we need is him. When we seek him, we find him. In our moments of despair, in our moments of celebration, in our highs, in our lows, and every day in between. David knew what it meant to seek God. And that we have to have an intimate and personal relationship with him. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know what you're walking out to. I don't know how 2020 shook you up. 
or steamrolled you. (laughs) Or maybe you found God in 2020. But what I do know is that when we seek Him, we find Him. The greatest reward of all time. And there's an opportunity for you today. He seeks you. And whether you seek Him out of obligation or guilt or out of a desire of your heart, you will find Him. That's how good He is. And so I want to give you an opportunity today with every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you know God. Maybe you guys are like best buddies. There's more for you. Or maybe you heard the first point about having an intimate personal relationship with God and you zoned out from then on thinking, I don't, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. That opportunity is here for you today. He has been seeking you since the moment that he created you in your mother's womb. He has been chasing you through your ups and your downs. He has been there for you every moment. He's not distant. He's not hidden. He's not lost. He's right here. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And you get the opportunity to say yes. You have the free will to accept him in as Lord and Saviour of your life. And if that's you today, all I'm going to ask you to do is pop your hand up so I can see it. You can pop it back down. I just want to know who I'm praying for. I want to pray with you and start this journey with you. So if that's you and you want to say yes to God, I just ask that you pop your hand up, pop it back down. No one's looking. It's just between you and God, just so I know who I can pray with. Don't be scared. You don't have to have all your answers to the questions. You don't even have to know everything. All you need to know is that he loves you, he cares for you, and he just wants you. So one last time, looking around, if that's you, if you want to say yes to Jesus today, just pop your hand up. I'll see it and you can pop it back down. Awesome. Well, God, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're so good that when we seek you, we find you. Holy Lord, I thank you that you're in this place, that you're with us, that you're not hidden, that you're not lost, that you're not far away. Lord God, that we could just call your name and you are there. And Jesus, I just ask that you would help us to continue to seek you in the wilderness and outside. Lord God, that we would find you outside of the sanctuary, would find you in our moments And Lord God, I just thank you that you would stir up that hunger and that thirst and that desire in us to continue to seek you, to get to know you more, to understand more of you. And I just thank you that you're so good, that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us, and you just want to be in relationship with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.